Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? Are you okay with simply chasing money or do you want your work to be meaningful too? And how often do you tell yourself, I'm gonna figure this out? Today, the Middle Finger Project author, Ash Amberger is here to discuss how she went from growing up in a trailer park to middle-class success, to sleeping in a Kmart parking lot with only $26 to her name, to eventually making seven figures. Welcome to The New Man. Today we're talking with Ash Amberger. She is the author of The Middle Finger Project, Trash Your Imposter Syndrome, and Live the Unfuckwithable Life You Deserve. I said that without tripping over it. <laughs> Her website is themiddlefingerproject.com. Ash, welcome. I welcome, mean, welcome. I was really impressed when you said my last name without tripping over that. I had to go look that up. I had to look that up. And I, the first time I heard it, I was like, that person screwed it up. And then I heard you say it on something. And I was like, oh, that, that's how it is. So, Well, oh. you don't know the backstory about that, that I actually completely made that up. The, the, the Amber J is not Absolutely. You. The, the, yep. the pronunciation or the name itself? The pronunciation. Okay. The original name was Amberge, like Hamburg. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. So don't feel bad. I mean, you can pretty much say it however you want. I did. Uh- <laughs> Everybody screws up my last name. It's, it's uh, Lanier. But when I was in in, uh, in France, somebody was calling my name. I was at the hotel and they needed my name. They're Lanier, Lanier. And I was like, oh, I might have to keep that one. That's a, oh. it's a French name. So, so Fabergé or uh, Amberge and, and Lanier, maybe today's the you've, you've inspired me and Fabergé, <laughs> to spread yeah, my I, wings. I, man, I'm telling you. Yes, I like it. It's, it's nice. Well, I, I, I've been going through your book and on one hand, it's this blueprint for carving out your professional stake in the world. Like, it's just this, like, here's how to go kick ass on the world on your terms. I love that kind of stuff. And then on, underneath is this thread of, it's like a deep psychology book. Like here's, and here's all the mental and emotional stuff you're going to run into along the way. And you need to be tough. You need to be a badass. And as I was reading through, I was like, I was just inspired of like, yeah, you, if you're not getting what you want in life, you got to take full responsibility. Anyway, there's this whole self-reliance thing. I loved it. 
I'm really excited that it's out there. I know that you wrote it primarily for women, but I want my guys to read it because I think it's really, really powerful stuff. So I'm, I, it's, it's full of personal stories, full of a lot of jerks and uh, some serious challenges on your, is it edgy for you to put this out? Is it edgy for you to share this, this kind of stuff? I mean, considering I've been writing a blog called the middle finger project for a decade now, I'm so used to it. It, it feels great though, to have it in a formalized format. Okay. I've been following your stuff for years. You're one of the few people that I actually read. And one of the reasons why I read you is just like, oh, well, Ash can say that. So it's okay to say what I've got to say. <laughs> people tell me all the time. They say, I read your, your writing because hearing your voice gives me mine. And isn't that such a gift? Yeah, you were, you were kicking down doors and like, oh, I got to play it safe. And that's a, a, one of the things we'll talk about today is this. I don't want to break the rules. I don't want to rock the boat. And you tend to go find the rules in the boats and you rock them. <laughs> so. Um, actively looking for boats. Yes. Please. You look for boats to sink. You're like a submarine. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's come back to this idea of work, right? Cause that's, that's where most of us get stuck. That's where we get drained. It's where we lose our energy. It's where we get you, you, you had a life before, uh, your blog, you were selling magazine ads. You were, in, you were the good girl. You, you, even you describe yourself as the good girl there. Um, you weren't doing the work that you love. And it seems like you could, you could have hung out in that place, but it wasn't really in your constitution to stay in that place in life. But nonetheless, there's a lot of people probably listening, probably reading, you know, your blog that are in that place. And like, gosh, there's gotta be something else. And so transitioning into doing the work we love, what do you think was holding you back at the time? If, if you could go back and get inside your mind, what was, what were the, how are you viewing the world and, and how were you thinking about things that was holding you back then? No, it's the same as I hear from people today. They write in and it's always the same. I know that I was either meant for more or I want to do something else, but I don't know what. What is that thing? And I don't think any of us know what we're supposed to be doing next, but we just know. Uh, I call that your, this like feeling of anarchy that just bubbles up inside of you every day and you start to resent the hell out of your own life. And so, I mean, I had a very different approach though, because, you know, I grew up in this trailer park in rural Pennsylvania. My mom had severe social anxiety, so she didn't leave the house often. Uh, we were on government assistance. I never met my dad kind of a thing. So at the time growing up, I really never saw work modeled for me. I never really saw what it looked like to do work you were proud of and live a good life. So I think for me, it became this lifelong fascination to answer that question. So when I was finally, I'd finally made it to Philadelphia and I was originally doing the middle class project, if you will, <laughs> with all my heart, I was going to well, that's, that's, that's a, that's a great goal to have. If you're coming from where you came from, just to get to that place of, Hey, I need a conventional life. I got to be able to support myself. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, like if you knew how to make lemon pepper chicken, I was in awe of you. That was always a very middle-class thing to be eating. <laughs> Bagels with poppy seeds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little squishy ones. Mm. Um, I was, I was an anthropologist in a way looking around when I first made it to the city, trying to figure out what it was like to, to be normal. And I think that when I finally started doing everything right, because I didn't have a lot of room for, for error, right? There's not a huge margin there. 
I was very meticulous about following those rules and I wore my pantyhose and I drank milk and I didn't talk back to authority. I did what I was told. And when I finally got to my position selling magazine ads, I mean, honestly, like I thought I was a high roller. I was making $42,000 a year. I was going to Target and filling up my cart. Uh, And that's when I realized that normal was just the most disappointing thing that had ever happened to me. And I think it hit me harder than most people because I had such high expectations for the, for the world. So you'd grown up in this place of like, I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. You create that normal life for yourself. And then it's disappointing, disappointing. How, what, what, what was the letdown for you? I think, I think traditional work in particular lacks so much wit and imagination And something I learned along the way in my journey was the difference between happiness and meaningfulness. And it turns out the research actually shows that happiness is about getting what you want, but meaningfulness is about getting what you want and also expressing and defining yourself while you're doing it. So that for me was the missing piece. Like I can sit here and sell ads all day long. I can sell shower curtain liners. I can sell whatever you want to do. But there was no room for me to put my personal mark on that because it was a very corporate thing, a very corporate job. I love that distinction there. It's like, well, I can go out and I can create this income. It doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's not tied to what I value. It's not tied to what matters to me. Therefore, it's like, is it really making a difference out in the world, the shower curtain liners and that kind of stuff? Is, is that what you're speaking to? Right. I mean, it was, it was so empty and so hollow at the end of the day there, I was functioning just to make some big kind of faceless company, a lot of money. And while that was my original goal to make money, uh, there, there was nothing behind that. And that is the most dreadful feeling because you end up feeling like something is wrong with you. Yes. Yeah. I, I had a similar situation with my first company. I had, you know, Oh man, it'd be great to be able to do what you do. And I, inside I was just like, this can't be it. I can't do this for another 20, 30, 40 years. Like I just, just, I'm just not cut out for this. Uh, what kind of work were you in? I had, I'd started my own company doing media production. I ran that for 10, 12 years, started right out of college, five months out of college and then built it up. But I was like, it was kind of a fluke. It took off. It worked. And it was like, (laughs) but it then it started to become the golden handcuffs. Like, well, you can't take a chance now. You can't change this. People would kill to have what you have. You can never recreate it. All of those things. And I, at the time it was just, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy with this? (laughs) Yeah. Why can't I just, why can't I just drink myself to death or whatever it was that I was like, (laughs) why can't I just convince myself that this was it? And and on one hand, we can get into that hungry ghost where it's never enough and we're, we're battling our demons that way. But I think the conversation you and I are having is really about alignment. Like I want to do something that's aligned with what I'm here to do in this lifetime. Very well said. Oh, that's great. Yes. You know, a lot of the people I talk to, it's surprising because you would think that you'd have to get to a point of like rock bottom. We've all been there. I've definitely been at rock bottom a few times, but you would think that you'd have to get to that place in order to finally change. But a lot of times, or want something different. A lot of times the people that I talk to, uh, they have perfectly decent lives and that's the problem. They feel so guilty that they're not grateful for the life that they have. They should be grateful. It sounds similar to what you went through. My own assistant, her name is Elizabeth. She's phenomenal. Before working for me, she was a school teacher. And 
you know, she felt like her bones were just rotting away every single day. But every time she would bring this up to the people that mattered to her most, they would look at her and say, you know, you'd be crazy to leave that job. You've got summers off. You get out at 3 p.m., right? Like you've got benefits, you've got stability. And that is the metric that most people are setting for success. And for her, that wasn't the right metric. So that's stability and also acceptance. Like, hey, this is what's normal. I should just stick with what's normal instead of, it sounds like you're advocating, hey, what about yourself? How do, how do you listen to yourself and be willing to guide yourself from that inner compass instead of, well, maybe I should just compare myself to others and be happy with that? <laughs> yeah. You know, unfortunately, we believe other people. So when someone tells us that we should be grateful, we start to second guess ourselves and think, well, maybe I should be grateful. Maybe they're right. Maybe it won't work out. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just being flighty. And maybe I'm doing that thing that I always do where I'm never happy with anything. And therefore I need to just learn how to settle. Hmm. Right. Have you ever thought that too? Like, gosh, I'm just never happy with anything. Yeah. And I, I like that. I think we can be grateful for what we have, including our desire to change things. Right. It doesn't mean that if I'm grateful for something that I have to settle for it, it's like, yes, this is awesome. And it's a platform for me to take the next step. It's a it's a it's a I've gotten to this point so that I can now go to the next phase of my life instead of I got to this point. And it's, and it's ridiculous for me to want something else. I don't like that idea. <laughs> it doesn't have to be either or. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's so much out there that is beautiful in this life. And listen, like you're not going to find your passion in your living room. So if you're feeling that sense of discontent, it really, uh, the, the duty is upon you to go outside and see what there is out there that life has to offer. And I think that if you're not failing 101 times, like you're missing out on 101 opportunities to be happy. Yeah. All right. We got to skip through. I, I just want to like go through all the cool stuff in your book. We're we're not going to get to do all of that today. That's why they got to go read it. But the, the, let's talk about imposter syndrome. It comes up a lot. It's on the front of your, it's on the cover here. So in your world, what is imposter syndrome? Can you help us understand what that is? Man, it's that feeling that you feel when you are doing in particular work that feels perhaps a little bit more challenging and creative and you don't think you have any business doing it. And someone is going to call you out any minute now and tell you like, Hey, like you're not good enough to be here. Or you feel like it was kind of a mistake that you slid through. And now you are doing this thing. Someone's made this grand mistake on you and they're going to discover any minute. <laughs> so at any minute I'm going to be found out. I don't belong here. This isn't where I should be. And it's, it, it's that sensation. Like I'm in a house of cards. It's just going to come crumbling down at any moment. Is it really rooted in our, cause I, what I've found when I've, when I've had this or when I, when I coach others through this is that when we look at the data, their skills back it up. They, they have earned their seat at the table, so to speak, right? They can, they can do what's need to be done, but it seems like they're still operating from that part in their past, which is I'm just a kid from this small town or I'm a young girl from that grew up in a trailer park or whatever it is. And it's like, what the heck am I doing here? Why am I in this scenario? I don't belong here. Is that what you're kind of feeling it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think two things. I think number one, it's something we all feel forever and ever and ever. It never actually goes away because as you get better at stuff in life, you end up with more responsibilities and you end up seeking out more challenges. So therefore you are always doing something that's a little bit new to you. So that feeling should not go away. I think if it does go away, you're in trouble. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. No, I think it means 
everything's right. I think it's wonderful. Uh, imposter syndrome is, is the mental side of doing anything worth doing. And I think that oftentimes we think that it's the wrong thing to be feeling because if we were right for it, we wouldn't be feeling that way. I think that's a huge, huge point, which is like, if I found my, this whole, my passion, right. I'm, I've, I've figured it all out that it's somehow just going to be green lights, unicorns, all of that kind of stuff. That's going to be completely comfortable. And we come to find out it's actually quite uncomfortable. We're going to be stretched. We're going to be called the biggest, best parts of us are going to be called into, into action and it's going to be uncomfortable. And so it was like, wait a second. I didn't know it was going to be uncomfortable. I thought I was going to just get, get, go to sleep here and just relax. And I'd be exonerated <laughs> as they say, from, from any kind of discomfort or risk or judgment. But no, when we actually follow that path, we, we step into greater challenges. Yeah. Yes. And I think that this is the best benefit that anyone who has had to be scrappy in life or has had some kind of a hard scrabble upbringing, they have an advantage because they're used to feeling this way their entire life. Every single thing they do from just going to the grocery store to buy nicer toilet paper becomes this exercise of trying on new versions of yourself. Yeah. Who am I? Right. Like that's the question. Who am I to tie this back to where we were before, which is like, well, who am I to go out and do what I want in my life. I should just be happy with being comfortable. Who am I to want to expand and try new things? I don't deserve that. I'm just X, Y, Z. I'm just this person. That's why I wanted to tie it back to that, which is that, that voiceness will, you call it a dream zapper. There are people that do it, but there's also that voice in us that, that says, you don't deserve this. You're not that person. Is that right? That's so true, isn't it? You know what? I really, when I first got to Philadelphia and I, I, I started looking around me, I was very excited to watch these adults who had quote unquote made it in life because I really thought at that point there was some kind of like committee out there, kind of like the FDA who was making all the, <laughs> the rules that was best for society. And this is, this is kind of it. So I really thought once I got to this civilization, uh, I would, I'd be fine. But I quickly realized from a number of different things that had happened that nobody actually has any idea what they're doing, no matter how old they are. And the rules are being made up by some guy named Ted who has a dog named Wedgie and had a quarter pounder for lunch. And that is legit. <laughs> So when you look at it that way and you're like, wow, well, if that's the case, well, who is he to be making the rules then? I mean, he's, he's just a guy and I'm just a girl. But when you realize that everyone else is just guessing, it gives you permission to just wager a guess yourself. Yeah. They don't have to be the authority. We get to find our own. We get to create our own authority, uh, which is a big part of, of your book too. It's like, what, what am I here to do? I, I get to decide that for myself instead of waiting to be told what to do. If I'm a good girl or if I'm a good boy and I follow all the rules, then everything will work out for me. And that doesn't necessarily always pan out. We get, we just become better followers in that regard. So much of that is self self trust. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend named Chelsea the other day. She, she's originally from Boston. She was an engineer decided in her thirties. She didn't want to be an engineer. She quit went to pastry school. And then at some point along that journey, ended up in Costa Rica visiting a vanilla farm. She falls in love with Costa Rica. And now 10 years later, she is the premier wedding cake bakery in the entire country. And someone said to her recently, you know, Hey Chelsea, how do you feel comfortable taking an order for a cake that you've never made before? Because some of these orders you're getting are just so extravagant. How do you feel comfortable doing that? And she looked at them and was just kind of like, 
well, I might not know how to make it now, but I will figure it out. That is the mentality we all need and that not all of us have. I will figure it out. What a beautiful thing to just keep repeating. I've always figured it out, right? Like if I got, if I got to this point, I figured it out. I've gotten here, right? So if I got <laughs> knocked dead. down, I got back up. Like it's just, that's the part of the story we don't remember. We remember the part about being uncomfortable and I never want to be uncomfortable again. But I love this part. It's like, I, even the question was, how are you comfortable doing that? And I'm not comfortable doing that. It's going to be uncomfortable, but I'll figure it out. And it's that willingness to be uncomfortable and that willingness to go in there and figure it out. I think a lot of us just don't want to figure it out. We don't have to work for it. And I think that's a, that might be the, the thing that separates us. Is it, in your world, what, what makes us unfuckwithable? <laughs> <laughs> you said that word perfectly for I'm you. nailing it. I had, to, I had to write it in syllables so I wouldn't fall over it. But yes. Yes. Good job. Most people say unwithfuckable, like they can't get it. They can't get it. <laughs> For me, I mean, this is about being unfuckwithable. It is about having this self-trust and developing that sense of self-trust that you will figure it out as you go. Because essentially, you know, if you've never had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, how would you ever know that you could? So <clears throat> it is about developing that muscle because you are unfuckwithable. If you know you can figure it out, you can pivot any which way, no matter what gets thrown at you. I mean, you might have to take a different avenue, but that's fine. You're going to do that. You're going to adapt. You're going to take the resources that you do have, whether those are mental resources, emotional resources, you know, financial resources, whatever it is. And you're always going to figure it out. That is the mentality that I would like to really cultivate here. So much, so many people really want to have all the answers before they make a decision to go for it. And you're never going to have them. All right. I want to hear the story. I want to hear the Kmart story. I read it. <laughs> it's so badass, though. I mean, it's so that that turning point is just amazing. Would you be willing to share that? Yeah. Yeah. The Kmart. Yes. The Kmart. This so, was listen. after you've been the good girl. This is after you've been normal. Okay. Yeah. This is everybody's big fears. It's all going to go away. So I, I, this is huge. This is a huge story. Yeah. I mean, eventually you are, you're, are, you're going to fuck it up. Um, but that's okay because <laughs> you will figure it out. <laughs> I am living proof of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> when I was in the city and I was still feeling all of that existential angst every day, what am I doing here? I read a book by NPR correspondent Eric Weiner called The Geography of Bliss. And in the book, his mission was to explore different cultural definitions of what it is to be happy. And I started thinking just like, gosh, that is, that is absolutely brilliant. I had done a master's degree in linguistics because that's the first thing you do, right? When you're unhappy with your job, you take out an $80,000 student loan <laughs> and you go to grad school. Never used that a day in my life. Uh, but I was already in linguistics and I read this book. And so I thought, well, geez, if humans have developed hundreds of different ways to communicate with one another, certainly they have developed hundreds of different ways to be happy. And this launched me further into my grand mission to figure out what it was to live a life uh, that you were proud to be living. And so I started looking in subcultures in Philadelphia. I started going salsa dancing and I started you know, going to these ethnic restaurants and I met a very, very dangerous, delicious man at the time who knew how to dance that. Yeah. You're a goner when you find that one. Uh, <laughs> and what I, what I loved about him 
in this kind of anthropological way was that this guy was making $10 an hour delivering frozen food supplies and he didn't drink alcohol. He did. He could care less about a $15 martini or keeping up with the Joneses. And he had this kind of unwavering sense of con- contentment about him that I didn't understand because he wasn't striving for more. And my entire life I had been striving for more and thought that that was the key to happiness. So I thought, all right, I'm going to take a page out of this guy's book and I am going to strive for less. <laughs> so... I moved in with the guy. I was living in this like shack in South Philly, the bad part. This was only uh, after a couple of weeks together, right? Oh, yeah, this, this was a very bad decision. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> got it. We got to underline that one. Okay. <laughs> but here's what happens. Uh, when you don't have money to choose, you lose your discretion. And that is what had started happening to me because I had then by then quit my job And now I was going to become a freelance writer because I was just, I had it. I had it up to here with the real world and all of these people who are so disappointing and things. I just had it. So I decided to go down this path and we would go to Kmart and shop at Kmart, really. And we would, uh, gosh, you know, order like Chinese takeout and eat it for days. And we had, we had rodents. There were, there were rodents in this house. And me coming from the trailer park, I mean, this sounds like the last place I ever would have, would have wanted to land. But um, at the time, it wasn't poverty. This was me being like woke. This was me being. Uh, I don't need to go for more. I can have less. I don't need a guy with a golf, stri- a golf swing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do this because I feel alive doing this. And he makes me feel alive. <laughs> and this work that I'm doing makes me feel alive. So screw it all. I'm going to do it my way. Right. Anyway, one, one thing leads to another and the very dangerous, mysterious, good looking stranger. Um, I discovered that he had a set of IDs in his drawer one day. It was so bizarre. It was like putting away socks. And then, <laughs> and then I saw maybe like, I don't know, 10 or 15 different identifications, all with his photograph and all with different names. Oof. And so that, that's a moment you got to step back and reevaluate some things. <laughs> but now I've put myself in this precarious position because I don't have anywhere to go and I didn't have any more money left. I didn't have any more credits. Uh, I had all these student loans now and all these different like bills to pay. My AT&T bill was one. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and it led to a really violent discussion And so I had to make a choice that night, which was, you know, how do I have more dignity? And I decided that I had more dignity going and sleeping in a Kmart parking lot in my car than I would have staying with this guy. Alas, that is how I ended up in the Kmart parking lot. (laughs) Yeah. But without money, without really like what in that, in that place of what am I going to do? This is the big fear. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm broke and I don't have the support that I need. And you figured it out. You figured it out from that point. You would, right. you had, what do you said? You had $26 in your account? 26. The bank would not extend my credit. I remember calling. It was a mess. It was a mess. And when you are like, you know, orphaned in a trailer park, you just don't, I didn't know where to go. I had like a quarter of a tank of gas. I didn't even, I, I just didn't know what to do. And then you've got that shame on top of it because you hear the voices in your head of everyone who doubted you to begin with and the dream zappers and everyone who thought you were being crazy and having that confirmed. Uh, 
makes you not want to reach out for help. So you have that other weird psychological layer. Yeah. I can't depend on others. I just got, you know, I can't, I, I thought I trusted this person and now they were trying to hurt me and you know, why would I trust anybody else? Good Lord. Yeah. It was yeah. wild. But I will say that I am so grateful for that night. I mean, woo-hoo! I would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for that night. And that guy, I thank him with all my heart because that was the night that I, I really had to take a step back and think through, you know, what it meant to exchange something for value, because that's what I had to do. When you hit rock bottom, you got to sell something. You have to get money somehow. So what is that, right? Like some people might sell some family jewels, maybe a bond or two. I couldn't even sell my car because it was upside down on the loan. They wanted me to give them $2,000 to take it off my hands. <laughs> I remember being like, are you serious guy? (laughs) Um, but that was the night that I realized, okay, well, I don't have anything physical to sell. I don't have something that I can exchange for value. And believe it or not, as I was sitting there just figuring out what, what to do next, I heard the radio announcer come on and he said something that would profoundly go on to change my life. He said, The new Rihanna CD is now available for pre-order. And as soon as I heard the word pre-order, I realized two things. The first, that art is worth paying for. And the second, that your art doesn't have to be finished yet in order to exchange it for future value. And those two things made me understand in that moment that I might not have had something physical to sell, but what I did have were my ideas. And we've all got ideas. We are brimming with ideas. They, you know, they're always on inventory. They never go away. And if you've got an idea, even the most simple of ideas, and that idea will help someone else, you can save yourself. That's exactly what I did that night. Wow. All right. And you go into the details in the book. It's uh, it's a fantastic story, but it is definitely like, how am I going to get up from this? How am I going to get through this, this situation? It's a, it's a big one. So... Um, yeah, we we laugh all the time because we're like, oh, I made a million dollars from the backseat of my car. It's kind of like the the pitch for this book almost, but it, it wasn't exactly that that fluid. But that was really where it started. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about all the stuff I did in the backseat of my car. When it was like, <laughs> it was nowhere making money though. <laughs> say that out loud, it does sound a little bit like prostitution, but that was not the idea I had. <laughs> that was not the idea. Uh, Ash, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm really happy for you. I'm glad you're getting these ideas out there and in, the, in this form of the book. I hope it helps uh, you find more people that are going to benefit from your message. Go out there and shake things up a bit. We're talking with Ash Amberger, author of The Middle Finger Project, Trash Your Imposter Syndrome, and Live the Unfuckwithable Life You Deserve. Nailed it. Three out of three. Uh, learn more about her at the middlefingerproject.org. Ash, thank you so much. Trip, you are my new favorite human. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for making it to the end. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.